Ah, busy week. We always have that when we have Vacation Bible School. And uh, I love Vacation Bible School. It brings back incredible memories of cookies that you only got during Vacation Bible School. You all remember that? I mean, you'd have a break and then you'd have these cookies that I think they were just called Vacation Bible School cookies, but they were so awesome. And so uh, I know we'll have a great, great week this week. Uh, we are journeying through the book of Matthew, and uh, we always begin with a quick quiz. Not always, but most of the time. So I want to start with the quiz. Here we go. Question number one. In what chapter do you find Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ? Now, if you don't get this one, Stan's going to be very disappointed. Right, Stan? I mean, it's just going to be terrible. And, of course, that was last week in Matthew chapter 16. And so that is Peter's, uh, the very pinnacle, as Stan said last week, did a beautiful job setting up how that, I mean, the entire book points to that and then uh, uh, follows that as it proves that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. Number two, in what chapters do you find the Sermon on the Mount? You're like, we've heard that question before. Yes, over and over and over again. If you get this one, you get a lot of the, the Gospel of Matthew. Three chapters, beginning in chapter five. Anybody want to guess the next two? All right, five through seven, five, six, and seven, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Question number three, in what chapter do you find the parable of the sower? Not just the sower, the parable of the tares, parable of uh, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, several parables, all found in, of all chapters, chapter 13. I hope you got that one. And then chapter four, or question four, in what chapters do you find Jesus' first healing miracles? The healing miracles, two chapters, follow the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Anybody want to guess where they are? <laughs> Pete, you're right. I think they don't. I ask you, you want to guess? And Peter, Pete goes, nope, okay. Yeah, they're chapters 8 and 9, all the healing miracles, or at least a lot of them found there. And then finally, the fifth question, in what chapter do you find the transfiguration of Jesus? And if you did what you're supposed to do this week, you would know that it's in chapter 17, which is where we're looking at today. Now, I don't want to start with, with chapter 17, verse 1. I don't, I don't want to do that because I want to focus that first little pericope there as the focus of the lesson. But I do want to pick up midway because it bridges over to what Stan said last week. One of the points that Stan beautifully set out last week is that after the good confession that Peter made, Jesus began to teach the apostles about his upcoming uh, passion that's going to take place in Jerusalem. And of course, Peter takes him, rebukes him, and as Stan said last week, Jesus calls him Satan, not that he was Satan, but that he was opposing Jesus in his mission like Satan does. And, and so we're going to begin with that in Matthew chapter 17, we have the second of three passion announcements in Matthew's gospel. Notice the yellow here. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day. Now, this is all of it. It's going over the apostles' heads. You go back to chapter 16, where Stan uh, was talking last week, the exact same announcement. The apostles don't get it. They didn't understand what was going on? And there was a reason about that that we'll talk about here in just a moment. But in Matthew's gospel, Matthew mimics Mark's gospel. Mark three times. Jesus got to go, suffer, die, be raised the third day. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. Y'all in almost the exact same passages. 
I mean, it is just repeated over and over and over again. Matthew does the same thing, except it's 16, 17, and then you've got several teachings before you get to chapter 20. But, but the point that, that Matthew's trying to make is a point that we've made since the first of the year, which is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that he suffers for us, he dies for us, he's buried for us, and he's raised for us. The very point that Lee made in the communion talk this morning from Isaiah chapter 53. We have another story of where Jesus comes off the Mount of Transfiguration. And he runs into a man whose son has a demon. This demon is throwing him in the water, it's throwing him in the fire, and he brings it to the disciples of Jesus, and they cannot cast the demon out. Now, if you go back early in the book, they've been able to do that. And, and there's nine of the apostles there, Peter, James, and John's with Jesus up on the mountain, but they can't cast this demon out. And so Jesus, boy, Jesus just gets frustrated with this. Look at what he says. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. And he's not talking about everybody. He's talking specifically here about the apostles. Guys, what is wrong with you fellas? How long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus cast the demon out. The boy is healed. And, and the nine apostles who couldn't do it come to Jesus and go, Why couldn't we do it? What's the problem? And Jesus responds, because of your little faith. For truly I say, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you can literally move mountains. Now if you've been following in the text, one of the things you see in the text is the people who should have great faith have little faith, like Peter and the apostles, and someone like the Canaanite woman who shouldn't have any faith at all. Jesus says... Man, what kind of faith? This is great faith. And so you get this contrast between those who really believe in Jesus and those who are struggling because of some problems in their thinking. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Lesson number two, without faith it's impossible to please God. And yet with faith you can move mountains. The third story is a strange one, only found in the Gospel of Matthew. They've come back from uh, up around uh, Caesarea Philippi, and and as they're coming back into Capernaum, someone, a tax collector, stops Peter and says, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Uh, According to the book of Exodus, all Jewish men had to pay a temple tax every year to support the operations of, at first, the tabernacle and then later the temple. And that was still going on, you know, a thousand years later. And it it was a two drachma tax. And and so Jesus is coming through, and and here's the tax collector. Capernaum, major highway, came through Capernaum, going from Damascus all the way down to Egypt. A lot of tax collectors there, including someone named Matthew that Jesus called. And so are you not, is your teacher not going to pay the temple tax? And so Peter says, of course he is. Goes into the house, and Jesus says, Peter, can I ask you a question? Who do kings collect taxes from? Their, their sons or foreigners? And he said, well, of course, foreigners. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but I kind of like the fact that we don't have a state income tax. Do y'all like that? I, I love that. 
And, and my brother, who's from Mississippi that has a state income tax, says, how do y'all not have a state income tax? And I said, because we tax foreigners, okay? We don't tax Tennessee. Well, we tax us, but let's face it. Have y'all rented a hotel room in Tennessee lately? I mean, you go in, you say, I need a room for tonight. How much is it going to be? You know, you go to Priceline, it's going to be $89, fantastic. They ring it up and they'll say, that'll be $148. And you go, I thought it was $89. Oh, yeah, we have a state tax on hotel rooms. Why? Because we tax foreigners, okay? That's why we, and, and, of course, we got high sales tax, too. I understand that, okay? Now, Jesus' point is, why would... God, in the flesh, pay the temple tax. It's His temple. He, in fact, He is the, the living temple. Why would He pay a temple tax? And then Jesus says something that Matthew is, is writing to the church of His day. And here's what He says to him. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, throw in your hook, you'll catch a fish. Inside will be a shekel coin worth four drachmas. Go pay your tax, pay my tax. Why? Because I don't want anything standing in front of my ministry. Which is a principle that if you go over to 1 Corinthians, Paul says the exact same thing. He says a lot of us as Christians have rights. But the question you've got to ask yourself is, is will you allow the exercise of your right as a Christian to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ? You see, just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean you ought to do it. Because there's a lot of things that are not per se sinful. But there are people who struggle with those things that if they see you, you know, doing that or participating in that, they're like, whoa, what's going on here? For the church of Matthew's day, these, these are now Jewish people who have become Christians. And, and one of the big questions at church is, do we still have to pay the temple tax? We don't go to the temple. Jesus has fulfilled everything in the temple. The sacrifices don't cover us anymore. Jesus' blood is what covers us. Do we pay the temple tax? And Matthew says, yes. Because when you don't pay the tax... You put up a barrier between you and your Jewish brethren and they're not going to hear the gospel. Sometimes we give up our rights, the exercise of our freedom, so that we don't put obstacles in the way of the gospel. And let me tell you, you go, how, how do I know when I do that? It's called wisdom. You have to exercise spiritual wisdom. And if you like it, James says, ask of God and he'll freely give it to you. All right beginning of Matthew 17. Again, Stan's lesson last week set it up beautifully. Jesus begins to teach that he's got to go suffer, die, and be raised the third day. Peter doesn't like that. And so Peter pulls aside Jesus, begins to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus calls Peter Satan, get behind me. And then notice what he says. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but of the things of man. One of the things that, that Jesus knows is that trying to get across to these 12 Jewish men what his mission is, is going to be a challenge. And Peter, I mean, he runs into it right here with Peter. And he decides, I need some help. And that's where we begin in chapter 17. 
Now, there are two first century Jewish beliefs that you've got to understand to understand the story of the transfiguration. The first one is this, and most of you already probably know this, and that is the Messiah will restore Israel to her former glory as in the days of David and Solomon. Every Jewish kid was taught that. That God's going to set up a kingdom in the days of these kings, Daniel chapter 2, and he's going to send his Messiah, and that Messiah is going to restore Israel to her former glory like it was under David and Solomon. And of course, to do that, you've got to get rid of these pesky Romans around here. And so through military power, we will restore the glory to God. Okay? Every Jew believed that. Jesus knew that. He's got to deal with that. Number two, there are at least three prophesied individuals coming. This is one that a lot of us don't understand. But when you go back to the Old Testament, you have these prophecies of different people that would come at the end of time, or at least the end of that age. Now, the best way to know that is simply turn over to John's gospel because John is asked about all three of these. Look at John chapter 1. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem. And they're asking a simple question. Who are you? Who in the world are you? And, and so John responds and he begins by saying, well, first of all, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. The word Christ means anointed one, Messiah. He is the one who is the son of David, who will sit on David's throne forever. And John said, I am not the Messiah. He couldn't be. He's from the wrong tribe. The Messiah was a descendant of David. John the Baptist was a descendant of Aaron. So, so that couldn't take place. And so they were expecting the Messiah, the son of David, to come. Then they said, okay, what then are you Elijah? And John says, I am not. And we're going to see this morning that John didn't have all of his ducks in a row on this one. Now this goes back to Malachi chapter 4 the very last book, last chapter in our Old Testament, not for Jews, but for us it was. They rearranged their books a little bit. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So they believed that Elijah was coming back. And by the way, they still do today. You go to Passover, empty chair, that's for Elijah. Still Jews are expecting that. At least Orthodox Jews are. And then they said, okay, if you're not Elijah, are you the prophet, not a prophet, the prophet. And he says, no. And this goes back to a passage in Deuteronomy 18, 15, where Moses said to the, to the Israelites, the Lord your God will raise up from among you a prophet like me, from among your own brethren. And then notice the last phrase there, it is to him you shall listen. Don't forget that. Okay? Now you need to know that because Jesus is fixing to just take Peter, James, and John and shake them to their very core. I don't know if you remember as a kid where maybe your mom or your dad needed to get your attention. And let me tell you, when they got your attention, they got your attention. I mean, whether it was mom with a broomstick poking me under the bed because I was running from her, or dad taking a little bitty thin belt in order to try to get through this thick skull, they got my attention. Jesus is going to get Peter, James, and John's attention. So after six days, he takes them up to a high mountain. Okay, they've come down from Caesarea Philippi. They go up on a, on a high mountain. 
And, and watch what takes place. And he was transfigured. He was changed. He went through a metamorphosis. Okay? Like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And notice what the text says. His face shone like the sun. You turn over Revelation, you see the same imagery in that book. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Whiter, the text says, than tide could ever make it. Some of y'all didn't catch that, did you? You are sound asleep this morning, I can tell. Not tide, it simply says any bleach. But you know, tide used to claim we can clean it whiter than anything. This was whiter than any bleach, whiter than anybody had ever seen. Okay? So here's Jesus, face is shining clothes brilliant white and behold there appeared to him Moses and Elijah in other words if you're Peter, James and John what about Moses and Elijah aren't they supposed to come back first (laughs) alright you want to see Moses and Elijah I'll show you Moses and Elijah so he goes up on the mountain and there Moses and Elijah appears now here's the problem by the time they climb to the top of the mountain Peter, James, and John are exhausted, and they have fallen asleep. They're sound asleep, okay? So picture the scene. They're on the mountain. They're asleep. All at once, this bright light maybe wakes them up or the sound of voices because Jesus, Elijah, and Moses are talking. William, you know the first thing they did? Jesus said, give a high five, and they gave a high five to each other. You know, Jesus like, had seen you in a while, Moses. Good to see you. Good to see you, Elijah. I hope you all doing well. You know, they're up here talking. And Peter and James and John wake up. And they are like, oh, no. What in the world is going on? At once two men, this is from the message, at once two men were talking with him. They turned out to be Moses and Elijah, and what a glorious appearance they made. I mean, if you can picture the scene, and I know this doesn't do it justice. This is from the Matthew video. But, I mean, Jesus is going to be just glowing. I mean, he's going to be glowing in glory. And here's, here's Moses, here's Elijah, and they're up here, and they're carrying on a conversation. And they talked about... And, and again, from the message, and they talked over his exodus. In other words, what are they talking about? They're talking about what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. The very thing that Peter, James, and John are not believing. They're, 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 they're just simply, they're not understanding it. And they wake up, and, and of course people all the time ask, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? And my guess is, Jesus said, Moses, how are you doing I mean, that's just my guess. I mean, he's calling them by name. They're calling him by name. But they're talking about... Now, now look at this. Here's Moses who led the exodus, very same thing, out of Egypt, and they're talking to Jesus about his exodus that's coming up out of Jerusalem. In other words, he's going to ascend back to heaven. He's going to make his exit. That's why we have exit all around. That comes from the word exodus, okay? And they're talking about that. And Peter, James, and John wake up right in the middle and they're seeing it and they're hearing it and they are scared to death. 
And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I mean, don't you love Peter? I mean, Peter's philosophy is real simple. When it's time for silence, talk. I mean, that's Peter. I mean, when, when, when you better keep your mouth shut, Peter's going to say something. And so Peter blurts out, and I want you to notice what Mark says, for he did not know what to say. I mean, scholars try to figure out, what, what are these three tents? Are they tabernacles like Moses built in the wilderness? Are these just regular tents that people live in? What's Peter saying? And the answer is, he don't have a clue. He just blurts it out because he's like, somebody needs to say something. For they were terrified. He was still speaking. <laughs> I mean, not only did Peter know not, when not to talk, he didn't know when to shut up. And some of you are going, yeah, our preacher's that way. Okay, I get it. I get it. But anyway, as he's still talking, a bright cloud overshadows them. Bright cloud. Here it comes on the mountain. And then they hear a voice. And I don't know the voice. I wish I could recreate it. I don't know if it whispered. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. My guess is it did. My guess is it thundered. My guess is it shook Peter and James and John to their very core. This is my son, the one I love, and I am pleased with him. And then he says something to them. That's why Jesus took them up there. He's like, if I'm ever going to get these guys to listen to me, I have got to get their attention. And watch what God does. Listen to him! And Peter and James and John fall down, eyes closed, scared, slap, dab to death. They've heard the voice of God. Jesus comes and taps them after they've fallen down. By, by the way, lesson number four, we need some time to pause our preconceived beliefs and ideas and listen to Jesus. Amen on this one? I mean, all of us bring to church beliefs that we've had since childhood, things that teachers, preachers, elders, Bible class, VBS, you go down the list, we've been taught a lot of things in our lives. And a lot of that's good, and a lot of it's beautiful, and a lot of it's right spot on. But, but some of it's not. I mean, sometimes we're taught things that, that we go back as we get older and we begin to examine what Jesus has to say about it, and we're like, whoa, wait a minute, that's not what I was taught. That was the same with Peter, James, and John. It's not that a lot of their teaching wasn't excellent. It was very good. It's just that some of their teaching was just wrong. And sometimes we've got to pause long enough and examine ourselves long enough to say, is this, is, is this really what Jesus is calling us to? So Jesus goes and taps them on the shoulder and says, get up. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't you love that? Don't be afraid after they are absolutely shaking in their boots. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. God's gone, the cloud's gone, Moses is gone, Elijah's gone, and Jesus is back to normal. And now they've got to, as they walk down the mountain, process this. Now, I want you all to think about that. What are they thinking? What are they going down that mountain going, what in the world? 
Jesus, first of all, says, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Don't tell anybody what you've seen. Not until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And you smile and you go, okay, that was easy. No, it wasn't. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning, what in the world is this rising from the dead? Now, if you notice up here, 2 Peter 1.18, Peter actually later mentions being up on the mountain. But they're coming down the mountain, and Jesus says, don't talk about this till after the resurrection from the dead. And Peter and James and John are going, do you have a clue what he's talking about? I don't. And then they ask Jesus a question. Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And you can see a smile on Jesus' face. For the first time, Jesus goes, that's a good question. Now, you're listening. And so Jesus responds, Elijah does come, and he'll restore all things. And of course, they're like, what? We just saw Elijah. He, wait, what, what do you mean he first comes? And Jesus knows they're confused. And so Jesus says, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. And Peter, James, and John look at each other. And they're like, what? So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. In other words, Peter, James, and John, are you listening? Just as Elijah suffered, I'm going to have to suffer. Then the disciples understood he's talking about John the Baptist. Yes. And I'm going to have to suffer as well, just like John did. And finally, Jesus smiles because they're fine starting to listen. What about you? Is it time to listen? As you go this week, let me suggest very quickly, number one, read Matthew 18 for next week. It's going to be a tough one, packed with some tough teaching. Matthew 18 next week. Number two, pray for someone specifically that you know do not know Jesus. We've been saying for weeks, pray for Sumner County, pray for Hendersonville, put a name to it. Pray this week for someone, your family, your friends, someone you work with who don't know Jesus. Would you pray for someone by name? Number three, are there any freedoms that you are exercising that might prevent someone from coming to know Jesus? Is it time to lay aside some of your freedoms, just like Jesus did? But more than anything this morning is this simple question. Are you listening? Are you listening to Jesus? And if it's time to hear his voice, and it's time to respond to that voice, our shepherds are going to be going over to the sides. You'll see them. Some of their wives will be with them. There will be some upstairs as well. As we sing the next song, if you've got any need at all, whatever it may be, seek out one of our shepherds. I'll be up front if you'd like to come see me, and we'd be glad to respond to that. You can come right now. Let's together we stand.